0: Well, I don't know if you've noticed, but some people have just a fascination with angels. You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, at Christmas time, they come out all over the place. We have the little cherubs with the little horns and wings and all of these kinds of things. But perhaps you've been over to a neighbor or to a friend, and they have the little maybe angels. They're kind of like garden gnomes, I guess. But you'll have like some kind of an angel in the yard, a little stone thing. Or perhaps um, you see decorated little angel figurines, right? There was a time my wife uh, early on really liked precious moments, and there would be these little precious moments angels, right? She's outgrown that. Please don't buy her a precious moments angel. We don't, we, don't, we don't need any more of those in our house. Okay, but those little precious moment figurines are something like this. It's like, oh, but they're little angels. And and people just kind of really reflect on and enjoy these angels. And we even see in the New Testament some references that kind of make our heads scratch a little bit. Like, are there really angels among us? Are they, oh, are, are they protecting or watching out for us? In Hebrews chapter 13, uh, Okay, it's not chapter 1, so I, but it's in the book of Hebrews. It says, I think I forgot the last letter there, the uh, last number. But it says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers because some people, having shown hospitality to angels, ha- ha- have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it or unawares. that They didn't even realize it. That's an odd thing, showing hospitality to someone, and yet, is that an angel? I don't know. i would tell you an interesting quick little scene. I was at Syracuse University, uh, and there a young man and I were going. We were doing some evangelism. We were asking to pray for people and sharing the good news of Jesus there. And we walked up to a a lady who was on a bench and kind of enjoying her lunch. She was obviously one of the uh, faculty member or perhaps uh, one of the administrative workers there at the university. It turns out she was an administrative worker. And we just went up and, and began to talk to her and ask her how she was doing. And she very quickly opened up that she was struggling with cancer. And she was worried, and we asked if we could pray with her. And she she was like, "Oh, absolutely!" And and she allowed us to pray for her. And um, about a week later, um, I was walking across campus again, and she was sitting in the same spot at the same time of day. And went up to her and she said, "You're real." I was like. Well, yeah, 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 so the last time I checked, and she's like, I went back to the office and told all my colleagues that there were these two men, and they walked up and prayed, and they were like, oh, those were angels. They had to be angels. They're, I mean, nobody else would have done such a thing. No one else would have just stopped and asked to pray for you. They must have been angels. Well, <clears throat> here to tell you, I'm not an angel, <laughs> uh, that's for sure, but uh, my wife can testify. I'm not an angel, that's for sure, but it's this fascination could there be these angels walking among us? People get kind of, kind of into that. In chapter 12 of the book of Acts, um, it tells us this, that... Um Peter, being in prison, was let out of prison by an angel. When he re- was reunited with the other believers, it, one of the young ladies, the young servant girl, Rhoda, oh, was, heard Peter knocking at the door and went to the door. Everybody else was inside praying for Peter. And it says when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back, without letting him in, by the way, she ran back without opening the door and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. The people said, you're out of your mind, they told her. She kept insisting that Peter's out there. They said, well, it must be his angel. What an odd concept. That there were these sort of traditions that maybe there's an angel that looks like me. I'm like... Oh, that's not so great. (laughs) I'm thinking, that poor poor angel. (laughs) What what, what do we think? We think an angel that would look like us or that would protect us or watch out for us. People build these whole ideas or doctrines about these angels. We're not really here to study angels, I'll be honest. Because the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about them, but we do see these ministering appearances. There are four angelic appearances in the birth of Jesus account alone, and we think if we look at these different accounts we will see and learn some things about hope, about joy, about peace, and ultimately about the love of God. So let's take a look at this very first um, angelic appearance in the Christmas story. It comes in Luke chapter 1, and it says that in the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Now, verse 6, it tells us that both of them were righteous in God's sight. They were observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Boy, that's a reputation right there. They observed all of God's laws, all of his decrees for a priest and for uh, this priestly descendant of Aaron, the wife. All of them, they were considered righteous. People saw them as people who honored God with their attitudes, with their actions, with who they were. These were righteous people. They were acting in accordance with God's law. It says blamelessly. Now, did they have sin? We know they did right? Everyone does. In fact, the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody was perfect, but these, this couple, sought for their lives to honor God with their lives. Verse 7, we see the problem. It says, but they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Now, old is not a problem. <laughs> old is a privilege. It is a blessing of God. Gray hair. We know all of that. I've, I've come to con- accept it. Um, uh, but yet, when you're thinking about a child, and we're thinking about a family, age does become a problem. And we know that people have often struggled with infertility. And, 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 and we know that people spend large amounts of time in prayer, and in just sorrow, and money on, on fertility clinics, and other things. Be- not having a child. And that can often be a grieving point for many people. Um, that They're not having that experience that they've longed for. That holding their own child in their arms. And that can be kind of a moment of grief. And quite honestly, you get to a certain age and you're like, well, that, that maybe that's not even possible or available anymore. You know, as we think through life, it's not just about infertility. There are places that all of us have to confront. Hopelessness. There are places that we just don't think are going to get any better. There are places where we think, wow, is this going to end? Is this going to come? Is this suffering? Is this, is this situation? Or is this hope that is unrealized? I, 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 I sort of lost that. Is this person ever going to come to Christ? Is this promise that I felt like God had given me ever going to f- be fulfilled? It may not be about childlessness, but it might be something in your life that you're saying, when? When? When is it my turn? When will I get what I think God has promised? When when will I achieve and receive what I've hoped for? And sometimes as the clock ticks by, as we get a little older, as we reach a certain stage in life, we start thinking, I don't know. I don't know. Is it ever going to come about Zachariah and Elizabeth had reached that moment. Zachariah and Elizabeth had reached that moment. Now, I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it is. I know it's my own heart, those struggles. They had reached that moment. Well, it says once, verse 8, when Zachariah's division was on duty, you see, each of the priestly groups, you'd spend one month on duty, and then you'd have often a couple months that you were back at your own home. But he, once when Zechariah's division, when his grouping was at the temple, when they were responsibility for had responsibilities for the sacrifices and for lighting the candles in the temple, for placing the bread of presence, for doing all of the burning of incense, all of the things that the law required of God's temple, all of the things required for the worship, when it was Zachariah's turn, he was serving as priest before God. And he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to actually go into the temple, to go into the holy place. Not very many people got to go. And only the high priest got to go to the very back room, the Holy of Holies, and that only once a year. But into the holy place, different priests would go and they would light, the, make sure the candles were lit, refill the, the, the places of oil, put the bread of presence out each day. And it was Zachariah's turn to go and to burn the incense there in the temple of the Lord. Now, this is something that as an older man, he had probably done many times, but he knew it was a privilege, he knew it was sacred, and he knew you need to do it at just the right way. You need to do it in just the appropriate fashion to honor God. And it says in verse 11 that right then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of that altar of incense. And when Zachariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. Notice that this righteous man, as he was performing a duty that maybe he had done many times before, as he was performing this sacred task, he knew that this was a holy moment. The the angel wasn't just showing up to chat. The angel wasn't just showing up to say, hey, you've got any prayer requests today? (laughs) The angel wasn't just showing up for anybody. God's presence was being represented here by this angel. This was a holy moment, and this was a place that quite honestly was scary. What was the angel going to say? What was the angel going to do? He was startled. He was gripped with fear. No one else should be there. He knows this is sacred. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son, and you're to call his name John. Okay, this... uh, This hope that I've been praying for, do you ever have that prayer that you keep praying but you don't believe is going to ever be answered? I I, I mean, you've prayed for it a long time. Hey, hey, Lord, please, intervene in my family. Lord, please, this this thing that is not good in my life, would you take this away? God, would you please? Has there ever been that prayer that you've prayed over and over and over and over, and it's been day after day, week after week, month? Year after year, and you're like, Lord, and God answers. God says, oh, 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 yeah, that's going to be fulfilled. That's going to be fulfilled. Your wife, Elizabeth, she's going to have a son, and go ahead, I'm going to tell you, you're going to name him John. Can you imagine all that was flooding in? Well, it doesn't stop there. The angel keeps speaking in that moment of shock, in that moment of awe. The angel keeps speaking and says, Oh, and by the way, this young boy, this, this John, this son of yours, he's going to be a joy and delight to you. Now you're thinking, Well, of course. <clears throat> Those of you who are parents might not say, of course. (laughs) Wouldn't that be a great promise? You're going to have a child, and he's going to be a good one, (laughs) right? Um, Because some of them may be not as good. Uh, You're going to have a son, and he's actually going to be a joy and delight. His whole life is going to be a joy and delight. Okay, that's a promise right there. That's one that we should be praying for. He's going to be a joy and delight. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He, he's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even when he is born. Now, Zechariah was this priest. He knew the stories. He knew the Old Testament stories where many of these sort of births, we'll take a look at them here in a second, we'll see that there were these special births. And this idea of not drinking wine or fermented drink, even from birth, was the idea of being a Nazirite, being set apart from God. Um, Samson was one of those uh, in the Old Testament. He was told, that was the rule, don't cut his hair and don't let him drink any alcohol and he's not supposed to touch anything dead. Those are the three things a Nazirite is not supposed to do. Here, John is being marked as one who would be chosen and used by God. What a promise. What a realization. All of the hopes. Finally, it says this in verse 16. And he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will bring back many people to the Lord their God. He will return people back from, from having gone away and lost their way and been apart from it. He's going to return many to the Lord their God. Verse 17, And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom and righteousness and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This promise about John was not just that he was going to be a good son, not just that he would be a delight, not that your hopes would be fulfilled, but God was going to use him in a significant way. Are there some of you who are here that you realize that God has also said that to you? Wait, to me? Oh, oh yeah. For those of you who are believers in Jesus Christ, we heard last Sunday that each of you is part of a body, that each of you is gifted, that each of you has been placed in a body of believers to serve and to give and to, right? Right? you realize that the promise of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 applies to you. The promise is that you are God's workmanship, that you are his creation in Christ Jesus to do good works that he's laid out in advance for you to do. There's no one can, that can do the work that Alvin's supposed to do. There's no one else that's supposed to do the work that Vicky's supposed to do. There's no one else that's supposed to do the work Christine's supposed to do. Or any one of us here, Don, Erica, all of us are part of God's people. We are his workmanship. He has created you. He has gifted you. He has called you. He has designed you to fit within a body of believers to do the work that he's laid out in advance for you to do. This promise to John is a promise to you to make ready the people of the Lord. Yeah, that's part of my job, but it's part of your job too. We work together as his body, as his people. We are called, if he has left you here to be in this place as a believer in Jesus Christ, it is not just to wait until his salvation. It is to do the work that he's called you to do. What an awesome task. These are echoed throughout the Old Testament. They're echoed. Look, here's a few examples. In Genesis chapter 18, angels appear, appear to Abraham about a son that would be born, an only son, Isaac. Now, there was actually another son, which is kind of crazy, but God keeps calling him the only son, the son of the promise, the son that God had promised Abraham when he was already 75 years old, when he was already old, and when he, once again when he was 85. The child is not born until he's 100 years old. Oh, my goodness. God's gift, God's promise. The angels came and told him about this. Joseph is another one who ends up being savior of the whole Egypt and all of the people of God. He was promised by God. He was this son uh, once again to a childless uh, Jacob and uh, his wife Rachel. And, and God intervened and brings Joseph In Judges 13, we have this birth of Samson, also foretold by the angels, also this Nazarite from birth that would rescue God's people. And in 1 Samuel chapter 1, we see again this final judge, this key prophet, this priest, this one that would bring all of it together, symbolizing Jesus. This Samuel was promised again to a woman who had no children. The promise was finally realized, and oh what a great day it was. You know, for us as believers, it's hard to hold on to, to this hope. But the God, God's angel brought this message of hope to the hopeless. It was a message that said, look, it's a son who was born in verse 13. It's a joy. It will be a joy and delight. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will bring back people to the Lord and he will prepare people for the Lord. The angel's promise, his words brought hope to the hopeless. Now, it didn't take long for us to look around the world and start getting pretty hopeless. Maybe it's Ukraine. I mean, the the generals are starting to say things like, oh, at least the American generals, "Uh, is this going to be a stalemate? Because, yeah, the Ukrainians make a little progress, but there's a lot of territory and there's a lot of... Is it just going to bog down? Or maybe it's the mass shootings. I mean, what, what was it, two more this week? It's up to 50 in a month of mass shooting. Is that going to come to an end in this country? I mean, or is that just going to keep going? I mean, how long can that be? Or it doesn't take long to, to, to look around the rest of the world, to see difficulties. I mean, in North Korea again. Uh, what's going on? And just the pain and the struggles around the world globally. It, and in our own backyard, the poverty, the crisis we're having in education. And we start thinking, is there any hope? Is there a way forward? We need to realize that God's promises always give an opportunity for hope. God's promises always provide an opportunity for hope because God never fails. His promises are always true. God always comes through. When God says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. When God makes a promise, he doesn't uh, go back on his word. And the Lord always fulfills his promises. I don't know if some of you like some of those old C.S. Lewis books or the Chronicles of Narnia, if you've seen those, or the, even the movies. And uh, I remember one scene where the evil witch person, she's God, captured some of the young man in sin. Uh, uh, and uh, Aslan, who is this symbol of Jesus, makes the promise that I will take his place. And the evil witch type lady says, well, how can I know that your promises will be fulfilled? (laughs) And And the lion just sort of roars a little bit. This Aslan, this representative, just sort of roars with this. You're questioning my integrity? You're questioning who I am? You're questioning me? No. The Lord never fails. His promises are always true. He's sending his son back for us because he said so. Jesus said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. For those of us who know that day is coming, we hold to that promise. If it were not so, I would have told you. Because he doesn't go back on his word. God's promises give opportunity for hope. But so much of the time, I think we're like Zachariah. Let's look at how he reacted. He reacted. It says, the angel, Zechariah asked the angel, <clears throat> so how can I be sure of this? <clears throat> Let's face facts. I, I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Notice how he phrased it. Did you notice how he phrased that? <clears throat> you can go ahead, men, and say you're old. That is not a problem. Go right ahead. Do not say your spouse is old. Okay? She's along in years. She's gone down the journey a bit. She's off. Don't, <clears throat> don't do the, uh, <clears throat> yeah, my wife and I, we're both old. That is not, mm-mm, That is just a little word. Take it right here from the Bible. Do not say it that way. My wife is getting along in years a little bit, and it still looks young. Still looks very young. Still looks very young. All that, you know. Here, Zechariah is doing the same thing. How can I be sure of this? Look, my wife and I, we're past this childbearing ears. This this isn't going to come about. This this seems impossible. I've heard the stories. I know it worked out for Abraham. He was 100 and stuff. But are you serious? I don't know that this is... How can I be sure of this? Can you give some kind of sign? Could you give some kind of promise? Now, realize he's speaking to the angel. The sign is right before him. He is in the temple. I mean, what is going on? The angel is a little bit indignant and says to him, Hey, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Like, I am in the presence of... You've never seen this. You've never even... close. This is a little, little shack that you built. This little, this little temple thing that you have with all the gold and the sacred art is supposed to be so holy. This isn't even the real deal, right? This is like a Lego version. Right? This is not, this is not the, the, the real thing. I stand in the presence of God in the actual temple. When God says what God's going to do, he always does it. I am there. I am revealing just a glimmer of who he is to you. I am standing right before you. And you're going to question it? What are you doing, Zachariah? I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to you to give you this good news. You should be celebrating, not filled with doubt, not filled with questions, not asking for some additional sign. Well, the angel does give him an additional sign. It's not the one he would hoped for. In verse 20, it says, and so you're going to be silent. You can't say something nice. You can't say something positive. You can't say something full of hope then just don't say anything at all. I can hear my mom. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all, right? The angel pretty much kind of pulls this and says, all right, you want evidence? Shh. (laughs) You're just going to zip it, buddy, and pretty much puts an end to his talk for a while. and says, you're going to be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you didn't believe my words, which will come true in their proper time. You see, God's promises not only give us this opportunity to hope, not only have our opportunity to respond in faith, not only give us this opportunity to say, yes, Lord, have your way, but they also give us an opportunity of doubt they also give us this opportunity to just say, gosh, I don't know. I just, I can't believe it. I can't, how is this going to come about? How is this going to work? How is this going to come to be? I'll be honest. As we've been going on this journey together, there are plenty of days where I'm thinking, oh boy how's this church going to come back? How's this church going to come along? Can this church go forward? Can God bring together the right people? Can, can we be a, a true beacon of hope and light? And I'm pretty much, uh, you know, I, I kind of have a lot of faith here a lot of the time. <clears throat> but then I go home and then my wife's like, "Yeah, well, I, I should have the faith guy. You're here at home going, I don't know if it's going to work. I mean, I don't know if it's going to, you know, how am I going to be the person to, to lead? I don't know. Jesus, you've got to take over. You've got to take the wheel. You've got to bring about. Now, there's so many things we've seen God do. We have so many prayers that have already been answered. So many steps forward. And yet, it's an opportunity to doubt, isn't it? Now, you've had those doubts too, right? It's not just me. You've had those questions. Everybody's looking at me. "Mm -hmm, Not us. Okay, good. Good for you. Um, At least it's me. And I'm in good company. Because you know what? Zacharias shouldn't have doubted either. Why did Zachariah? He was a priest. Zachariah should have known better. In fact, from the lips of the priest, ought to preserve knowledge, the scripture says. Because what? He's a messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. Why didn't God just send a fellow priest or a prophet to Zechariah to say, your words will be fulfilled, you know, your hopes will be fulfilled? He sent an angel. I don't know. But maybe God had to intervene because maybe all the prophets and all the priests and everybody else had lost faith too. It's just wild speculation on my part. I'm sure that they were faithful. Zechariah and Elizabeth, it says, were faithful. They were righteous. But even the righteous can lose faith. Even the righteous can lose hope. And here this angel intervening with a priest. He's the one who knows the stories. He's the one who's heard about Samson and Abraham and Samuel and all of these births that were to, to the barren wife and to the barren husband. He knows the stories. And yet he doesn't believe. He wants a sign. He's not only a priest, but he was old. Now, you're thinking, well, that's the reason why he's doubting. But what I want to say is that ought to be a reason for him to have faith. Some of you guys are young. Some of us have been working with the Lord a long time. Some of you all know what Jesus has done. You have seen him answer prayer, after prayer, after prayer, you've seen people come to Jesus who you thought would never have said yes to Jesus. You've seen God uh, provide financially when you thought there was absolutely no way. You've seen God bring people back from the dead. They, they were sick. They were, the doctors had given up hope. And you've seen God answer the prayers of his people. You've seen God move. And yet you doubt. Some of us are old, just like Zachariah. should know better. And finally, he was in the temple. (laughs) When you're there in the presence and you're there in that sacred moment and you're lighting the incense and you're burning the candles and you're, you're there with the sacrifices and the praises and the worship, shouldn't your heart just be elevated to the place where doubt just disappears? And yet for some of us, even in the midst of God's glorious presence, we're able to find a way to still question God's promises. Question his word. Brothers and sisters, we should know better. Second Peter chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 says this. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he's given us his very great and very precious promises. What? God has given us everything we need for a godly life. He's given us everything we need for this life. Jesus has promised that we have life and have it abundantly. That doesn't mean everything works out for us, but it means that we walk with the living God through every problem, through every difficulty. We walk as his ambassadors in this place. We walk in the presence of God, not just in the temple, not just in the sanctuary, not just in the church building, But as his sanctuary, as his living presence in this world, we are the ones that carry the Holy Spirit within us. We are those who have been given everything we need for life and for godliness and yet we doubt. He's given us his very precious promises of his spirit. He's given us the promises that we have everything we need. He's given us that he will fulfill all our our needs according to his riches and glory financially. He's given us everything that we need. We can be content in any and every circumstance. So listen to this warning. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful and unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Notice how they're connected, that that lack of faith, that unbelieving heart, that lack of like God is here, that God is with us, is seen as this turning away from him. That we can begin, as we allow our doubts to to flood our minds and our hearts, it can actually cause us to turn away from the Lord. For you this morning, how are you responding? How are you responding to his promises? even those that are a long time in coming. When we respond in faith, it results in one final thing I want you to see. It results in an opportunity to testify. You see, God's promises provide an opportunity for testimony. Testimony to the greatness of God. Here's what happened. Here's the end of the story. In verse 57, it says, So when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son, and her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy. I mean, she's way too old to be having a kid, but woo, okay, Elizabeth, and she made it through, and the child is healthy, and they shared in her joy. Next verse, On the eighth day, when it came to circumcise the child, they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. They're going to call him Junior. But his mother spoke up and said, no, no, he's to be called John. They all kind of said, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. That's not a common name for your family. Don't you want to just name him after his dad? Zach Jr. It will be great. Um, It'll be fine. And they made signs to the father to find out what he would like to name the child. That's another odd one to me. He wasn't deaf hey, what would you, did you notice that? He can hear, he just can't talk. But they make signs to him, like, uh, okay, I, I don't know why they made signs. But they made signs to the Father, bring him over here, get him involved. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened, his tongue was set free, and he began to praise God. Praise God. He didn't quickly say, well, I'm glad that's over. You know, this has been a real burden. I haven't been able to talk. I've been having to carry this writing tablet around for at least a month. uh, For nine, I I mean, how long? It's been nine, ten months. No, he began to praise God. He began to praise God. And in fact, this is what he says, or this is what happened. All of the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the whole country, the people of Judea were talking about all of these things. Everyone who heard wondered, asking, what then is this child going to be? We've heard the stories of Samson and Samuel and Joshua and Isaac. We know that these special births came about. Who is this John? For the Lord's hand was with him. So today I think the challenge is this. How are you going to respond to God's promises today? Are there some unfulfilled promises that you're just needing to be patient? You just need to wait. You just need to keep praying, keep acting in faith, knowing that God will fulfill what he has promised to do. Are you allowing that, that sinfulness to come in because of the unbelief? Are there hopes that you're praying for today? Are there things that you need to be consistent? Maybe it's not a promise of God, but they are a hope that you have. And God has called you to respond in faith. And finally, is there a calling that you're resisting because of doubts? Now, you know that God has called to you and wants to use you and has placed you in this place, either in this church, in this city. God has called you, but you are full of doubts. Maybe as a young college student, a young adult, maybe God has called you, and you know that the Lord has more. But you're resisting because of doubts. And some of you, let's just be honest, you don't know Jesus yet. You've never experienced his salvation God has promised eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's 1 John chapter 5. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have the promise of God, but you can. In Romans chapter 8, it says it this way, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan right now. We groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption as sonship. Those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, we're waiting until Jesus returns, and we will be with him as his family forever, that adoption into eternity. It's the redemption of our bodies that is to come. And in verse 24, it says this, for in this hope we are saved, but who hopes for what he already has? And hope that is seen is not hope at all. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it, and we wait for it patiently. Those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ have this truth. Jesus is coming back for us. He has given us eternal life. This life is in Jesus. And those of you that don't have that yet, maybe today's your moment. Maybe in all that you've heard, you're like, I want to experience this. I want to walk with God. I want to know him. But your sins have separated you. Jesus has paid for those sins. Would you say, yes, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, come into my life. I want to be yours. This Advent season, this year, let's trust in and testify to God's promises while we wait for Jesus' return. Let's do that today while we wait for his future promises to be fulfilled. I'm going to pray and I'm going to be here at the front. Aaron and the music team are going to come and they're going to lead us in another song or two and we're going to have a time of response. And maybe today you're saying we're coming because we want to join this church. Or you're saying I'm coming because I want to receive Jesus as my Savior. I've got to come. I need this. You've, you you feel, it, feel it. I need to know more. I'm going to be at the front. Pastor Barry is going to be at the front too. You come and you respond as God is calling you. Aaron, come and lead us.